But you can make your way back to your seats and you can grab your Bibles. We'll actually be in a few different places, but the first place we'll be this morning is in Luke 24. So um, as you heard uh, today, we're starting to celebrate Advent. And if you're anything like me growing up in the church, year after year, I would hear Advent. I know that I'm supposed to know what that word means. I'm pretty sure it, it, it has to do more than, uh, uh, than with the, the calendar that my mom had and the chocolate that I got each day of December. Um, but, but honestly, growing up in the church, I, I would always forget. So the word Advent itself just means the note. Uh, it notes the arrival of someone notable uh, or an important event. So as Christians... Uh, when we celebrate Advent, uh, we actually celebrate two Advents. And, and that wasn't something that, that I really understood uh, growing up in the church. First, uh, we, we celebrate the Advent that Jesus came in the flesh, right? We remember the, the first Advent when, when the Christ was born. Obviously, this is of huge important to us, importance to us. We also look to the second Advent. So not only that that Jesus came, that, that he was born. Uh, but God's people are always looking uh, ahead to the future, knowing that, that Jesus is returning. As believers, we know that the best is yet to come for those who trust in him. So today, on this first day of Advent, we're focusing on hope. I think the last year or so has probably revealed to each of us, uh, if you're a believer in Christ, that sometimes our hope isn't just in Jesus. Sometimes we misplace our hope. I know that that has been more and more evident to me as the last couple of years have moved on. So today we will look at where is our hope? Where might we be misplacing our hope? We're going to talk about what biblical hope is and why Christians can be absolutely confident in our hope and then lastly, to encourage you to cling to the hope that we have, to hold fast to our hope in Christ. So first, what is the object of your hope? And obviously, you know, I'm going to say Jesus needs to be the object of our hope. But even when we think our hope is rightly focused on Christ, we might find ourselves from time to time sad or disappointed. Luke 24, 13, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, read along with me or it will be on the screen as well. It says, that very day, Two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Yes, Besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. 
They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Verse 21, they said, but we had hoped. And my guess is, in 2021, all of us could finish that phrase in a bunch of different ways. We had hoped, fill in the blank. We had hoped that our family would have been on speaking terms by now. We had hoped that I would have gotten a better job. I'd hoped that that relationship that seemed so promising would have worked out. We'd hoped that the visit to the doctor would have given us some answers. We'd hoped that our relationship with our kid would have been repaired by now. We had hoped that we could talk with our friends even when we don't see everything eye to eye. We had hoped that, that politics would solve some of our problems. We, we put our hope in so many different places. So again, I ask you, what is the object of your hope? Uh, the video uh, made by the Bible Project is a good reminder to us that, that we use the word hope in different ways. And even biblically, we see some different uh, uses of the word hope. Most of the time, when, when I use the word hope, it, it really just means optimism. Uh, or, or maybe it's closer to wishful thinking. Uh, like, I hope, every year I hope this, that we'll get a white Christmas, right? It's only happened a few times in my life here. Uh, and when I say white Christmas, I don't even mean that the snow has to stick. I just want to see it falling. Like, that would count to me as a white Christmas. But the chances of us getting a white Christmas, they're pretty slim. But when the Bible speaks of hope, what does it mean? Does it use a word for hope that's as weak as the way we use the word hope? I often, like I said, I use the word hope. I'm like, man, I hope I didn't overcook dinner, or I hope I'm not late, or I hope, I hope that my wife likes the Christmas gift that I got her, which sounds like I've already bought her a gift. I'm just imagining what it will be like <laughs> on that day. But all those wishes, right, even if they don't, even if they don't work out, I'm going to survive, even the Christmas gift one. But the hope we're talking about today is different. The hope that we read about in Scripture is more than wishful thinking, thinking praise God. Hope is critical to human life. Martin Luther said this about hope. He said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. No merchant or tradesman would set himself to work if he did not hope to reap benefit thereby. Humanity cannot help but hope, even when we aren't necessarily thinking about what we put our hope in. And our hope is certainly easily misplaced. We've seen that throughout Scripture, just in some of the different books that we've been in. In Isaiah, we read about hope, Israel putting their hope in other nations to be their salvation. Uh, in Ruth, uh, Elimelech and Naomi went to Moab hoping for a better life for their family. Uh, the Psalms write about misplacing uh, hope in, in war horses, in, in these military things of power for salvation. So what is biblical hope? It's not just wishful thinking. It isn't uncertainty. 
It isn't, I don't know if fill in the blank happens, but if it does. No, biblical hope is certain. Our hope is based on what God has said he will do and a trust in the promises that he has made to his people. So we have a confidence in the promises because God is the one who's made those promises to us. Our hope is, is based on what he has already done, right? On God's resume of doing what he said he would do. So Christian hope is, is confident. It is filled with expectation in God. Eugene Peterson said this about hope. He said, and hoping is not dreaming. It's not spinning an illusion or a fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination in the harness of faith. And, and what he means by that is, is imagining the promises that God has given us in his word. When we read in Luke 24 about the two on the road to Emmaus with Jesus after the resurrection, we see they're sad. They're disappointed. No one in the room likes being disappointed. But my guess is that we have all experienced our fair share of disappointment in recent history. Disappointment maybe as you watch the news disappointment as you look at friendships that have fallen apart, disappointment in how you handled or mishandled a situation, disappointment in, in seeing our country divide, disappointment perhaps in your loved one's choices. Disappointment is an emotion that we are all very familiar with and none of us like it. But is disappointment helpful? Because disappointment can be this emotional gauge that can point us to where we have wrongly placed our hope. And even as professing believers, we easily and unfortunately with regularity place our hope in the wrong things. Uh, Tim Keller, a uh, pastor, I think he's retired now in New York, um, he wrote a book several years ago called Counterfeit Gods, and, and he popularized what he called um, source idols, these, these four um, uh, root idols that, that like all other idol worship comes back to, right? So whether it's materialism or success or relationships or, or whatever, whatever idol, whatever thing that we go after, that we pursue, thinking will make us happy, that we worship, that we put our hope in, he says that, that all of them come back to these four source idols. And I think these are really helpful. I, I won't spend much time on these, but, but I want us to think about these. So the first one is power. It's this longing for influence or recognition, so maybe this looks like, like this, uh, this pursuit of, of being successful at all costs, this, this, this winning, right? Maybe this, maybe this person is, is, is really competitive and they, they, they want influence in, in, in their world. Um, the second is comfort. It's a longing for pleasure. Uh, maybe it's Maybe it looks like, like keeping your life uh, really private to only the people that, that you want to know you know you well. Uh, or maybe it's just uh, longing for a lack of stress and, and making sure that your life is as smooth as possible or, 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 or looking for freedom in, in being able to do what you want to do when you want to do it. The third source idol is approval, this longing to be accepted or desired. Right? Longing for affirmation from others, right? Seeking out love from really anywhere you can get it. Looking all the time to get your needs met through relationships. And then the last one is control. 
It's a longing to have everything go according to my plan, right? So maybe it looks like this rigid self-discipline or, or this absolute certainty in how things will go uh, or, or, or keeping these, these standards that you have set. So whatever idols we go after, Keller's saying, and I, I think he's right, that, that they probably go back to one of these four, right? So for example, if, if the idol that you put your hope in is materialism or, or money, we can, we can trace it back to one of these four. If, if comfort is your source idol, then, then you keep buying more and more stuff in order to be as comfortable in life as you can be. So you think the more money you have, the more stuff you have, the bigger house, the, the vacation house, the toys, then you'll have the life of comfort that you want. Or if yours is approval, <clears throat> pardon me, you think that if you have nice possessions, right, if you have that, that, that house that looks just right, if you wear the right clothes, then people will admire you. They'll want to be around you. Maybe you're, you're striving for your parents to be proud of you because clearly by what you have, you've shown that you've made it in this life. Or if it's power, you want flashy possessions to prove to your peers, to your neighbors that you are successful, to show that you, in fact, are a big deal. Or maybe you think that riches will give you influence over others because clearly you have figured out this life and have conquered it. Or lastly, if it's control, you're, you're, you're materialistic because you want the certainty to know that, that you can live off of what you have done. You don't need anyone else. You are not dependent. So we all have these different idols that, that we, we put our hope in rather than worshiping God. Uh, maybe, maybe our idol is pleasure or success, or maybe it's in your image or, or in people needing you, or perhaps you idolize work or money or family or relationships or status or achievement or, or being religious or being irreligious, but, but all of these are traced back to these source idols. What do you think your source idol is? Uh, I think it's really helpful as a believer to know where we are prone to misplace our worship, where we're prone to put our hope in things other than God. And we think that these will not let us down. Right? There's different times in, in Scripture that we see um, idol worshipers uh, propping up their idol so that it doesn't fall over. Right? These idols can work for us for a while, and, and maybe we can prop them up. Maybe we can jimmy-rig them in order to keep them standing, but at some point they fall over. And what we feel is disappointment, which is exactly what we should feel. It's by the grace of God that we feel disappointed when these things in life fail us because we need the hope that is only in God. Only he can satisfy us. So what are your source idols? Uh, my top one for sure is approval. And that has made uh, leading a church in pandemic life really fun. Uh, if you're leading anything in any capacity, you can imagine what a struggle it's been. I mean, I've shared before, right? Just wrestle with, man, I'm making someone mad no matter what decision I make here. Uh, I, I've wrestled through that. I feel like God's been beating <laughs> my need for approval out of me. Paul in Romans 5, he tells us uh, a hope, the hope that we have in Christ does not put us to shame. We will not be disappointed when our hope is in him. So what about these two, though, on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24? They'd hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. Right? They'd hoped in Jesus. Now, they didn't understand yet that Jesus had risen. But even in, in, in what they were hoping for, what did they mean by the word redeem? My guess is that their idea of redemption was much lower than God's 
plan of redemption. Many uh, imagined a, a military takeover of Rome when the, when the Redeemer, the Messiah, would come. So when Jesus didn't take over Rome, when there wasn't this political upheaval, this is horribly disappointing. But Jesus' redeeming work went, went way beyond political power. Jesus would, was redeeming God's people, not just for this moment in history, but from sin and death for eternity. So do we have hope in Jesus for the here and now? Yes, right? we absolutely do. But our hope is so much more than the here and the right now in this moment, or even the, the next calendar year or, or decades ahead. Again, the eyes of the Christian not only see the here and now, but even more so, our eyes are set on the future, on what God has promised. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So is the object of your hope in this life only, or, or even primarily? Because I think for many Christians, if we're honest, we'd say, yeah. I put most of my hope in this life. Most of us, including myself, we are not really looking forward to the second advent like scripture tells us to. So do we have hope in this life? Absolutely. But it is not just hope in this life. If this life is all we are living for, then when you come to the end, you will be sorely disappointed at how this life has gone. So biblical hope is not just about this life, though it's easy to get sucked into the lie that this is everything. And when we do, it makes sense that when life gets hard, when life doesn't go the way we want it to, we're disappointed. Although for some of you, maybe, maybe you're way beyond disappointed at this point. Maybe what you feel is depression. Let's turn to 1 Peter 1, uh, 3 through 5. Peter instructs us about this hope. It was in the, the Bible Project video, and uh, I think it was the summer of 2020. We went through the book of 1 Peter. We looked at this passage, so we aren't going to stay here long, but I want to remind us of a couple points. Starting in verse 3 in chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Right, he says for the, uh, that we, those who trust in Christ, we are born again, born again to what? We're born again to a living hope. Right? And, and maybe you're not familiar with this passage. Or maybe this is your first time coming to church. You hear living hope. How can a hope be living? Well, it's because Jesus is alive. He didn't remain dead when he paid the price for sin. He rose and he lives. And this is why, this is how we can be born again. We have spiritual life in him. And, and it starts now and it lasts forever, for all of eternity. Look at verse 4 how he talks about hope. We look forward to the inheritance that we have as the children of God. He says it's an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, and undefiled. Wouldn't it be nice if the Christmas gifts that you're shopping for were that way? As you shop for your gifts, think about the gift that God has given us. 
compared to the gifts that, that we are going to give, and, and hopefully they will be meaningful. But every one of them at some point will either be uh, thrown out because it broke or, or, or it wore out, or it will be donated because it's not getting used anymore or it's not cool anymore. Or, or, or the person you passed it on to doesn't value it. I have two Christmas gifts from my childhood to this day. Um, I've, I think I've talked at least about one of them. One is, uh, it's an old baseball card. I mean, old, it's from the 1980s, um, uh, that my dad gave me. And I, I got to meet my, my uh, baseball hero, Eric Davis. I don't know why he was my hero, but he was. Um, and, and I got his autograph. And, and my dad got me that uh, Christmas of like, I think I was a seventh grader. So I've got this card, right? It's, it's sitting in my drawer. And someday, one of my kids will get this card. And they'll look at it and they'll think, man, this is old. It has an autograph. It must be worth something. And look it up and go, why did my dad hold on to this piece of paper that is worth like $3? And then they'll give it away. The other gift I have is a, it's a video game cartridge that I just, I don't know why, but I love it. It's from my original Nintendo entertainment system. But uh, my kids are going to get rid of those things, right? If I pass those on to them, every gift it either wears out or we get bored of it. And I say that not to depress you, but, but to remind you of what we have as God's children, the inheritance that we have, right? No matter how great of a gift you give this year, although some of you might need to work a little bit harder at your gift giving, um, no matter how, how much time and thought and money you spend, it has a shelf life. But that is not true with the inheritance that God has prepared for his people because Jesus is the object of our hope. Life in him is where our hope is. Being reconciled to our creator is where our hope lives. Being known by God and knowing him is where our hope lies. Eternal life is where our hope is. So we can put our hope in Jesus. And my guess is you know that even still we can be off target. We can hope, Jesus, I'd hoped that you're going to fix this thing in my life this way. Or I'd hoped that your provision was going to look like this. Or Jesus, we had hoped that COVID was just going to last a couple months. Or Jesus, we'd hoped that this politician was going to right the ship or make it a little better at least. Jesus, I'd hoped that you would have given me this by now in life. Jesus, I'd hoped that you would have healed me of this thing, that you would have brought me past this thing I've been struggling with so I could do this for you in life. Here's more of Eugene's, uh, Eugene Peterson's quote on hope. He says, it's a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. Our hope is in God trusting that he is at work. Right? We remember Ruth. We just spent a month in that short little book. She had no idea what God was, would or would not do, but she hid under the protection of his wings, hoping in him. Drew read from Hebrews 10 earlier. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, 
with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure blood. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I want to just point out a couple things, really two points that I want, want us to rest in as believers, and then one thing that we need to do as Christ followers. So the first the first that we need to rest in is that God knows you completely and loves you. And if you've been to, to a Christian church, you've heard that so many times. But I don't know if we really understand how incredible it is. Right? No one else knows everything about you. Not your best friend, not your family, not your mom. If you're married, not your spouse. They don't know everything about you. There are things that you're actually probably pretty glad that they don't know about you. That's not true with God. Nothing is hidden from his sight, and he still loves you. So we're able to draw near, it says in this passage, to him because we've been cleansed by Jesus when we've trusted in him as our Savior. Right? So he, he knows everything that you've done, even the stuff that you dare not tell anyone. He knows your past. He knows your darkest moments, and he still loves you. When's the last time you just marveled at that? Right? That nothing you have done has disqualified you from his love. Nothing you could do disqualifies you. Rest in that. The second is that God is faithful, right? He has promised and he will see that all of his promises will come to be. And we see that throughout scripture, that we can keep our hope in Christ and the promises of God because Yahweh is faithful. Not only does God have what it takes to fulfill his promises, but he has the desire to do it. He will not stop. He will stop at nothing to accomplish what he has planned. Christian hope is, is certain because God is the faithful promise keeper. 2 Corinthians 1.20, I love this verse. It says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. The Hebrews author reminds us that Jesus is both the high priest and the sacrifice that was given for our sin. It's because of his blood that we have confidence to enter into the holy place. Nothing stands between us and God because of Jesus. So since nothing stands in our way, we're to draw near with these hearts that have been cleansed by him. And then verse 23 says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful, right? It's this picture of just holding on to, to this confession of our hope for dear life, right? We're not to be wishy-washy. We're to hold on tight to the promises that we have because the one who promised will see to it. He will make sure his promises come true. And life has been it's just been hard, right? And maybe it's because of pandemic or I know several people that you've just had hard things in the last year or two that really have nothing to do with the pandemic. And Hebrews tells us, man, we're to cling to the hope that we have. I think of Ruth trusting before she could see what God was doing. She was just trusting as she put herself under the protection of his wings. 
I don't know if you're familiar with the term grip strength. I wasn't that aware of it uh, until several years ago. Uh, my kids got into the show uh, American Ninja Warrior. I don't know if you've seen that. It's, it's a really fun show. Um, these athletes, if you haven't seen it, these athletes go through this obstacle course, right? And these obstacles are crazy. Like maybe you think you could make it through some of them. My guess is very few of us would make it through any of these obstacles. Uh, you can try and prove me wrong later. But some of these obstacles, they have to do with agility and, and balance. But most of them, uh, they have so much to do with, with holding on. Um, so if you don't have dri- grip strength, you have no chance in uh, American Ninja Warrior. And when you watch the show, they do all these little bios to kind of help you feel connected to the contestants, right? So they give you kind of the background story and, and do all these, these cool clips of them doing these amazing things. And, and you, you realize that, that there's not like one type of, of person that, that competes on American Ninja Warrior. There's all kinds of people. There's blue collar, there's white collar. There's, I remember this, this one guy's a meteorologist. They're, they're uh, like college students, PhD students. There's a rancher. Uh, I think there have been several different engineers. There's a, a biochemist. There's one guy that just said kayaker. And I'm like, really? Like, can you make it in life just being a kayaker? I don't know. But, um, but th- there's all kinds of, of people that compete on this show. It's super cool. There's not really all kinds of people, actually. There's not all types of people. Um, I've never seen an episode with someone that looks like me. <laughs> right? There's no one with love handles on American Ninja Warrior. There's, there's no one with a gut or, or flabby arms. Uh, I could have all the grip strength in the world, right? I could have Popeye forearms, <laughs> and I'm not going to make it on American Ninja Warrior until I shed some weight, and even then, actually, I would have no chance. But in theory, um, why do I say this? I I think that the pandemic has revealed to Christians that we weren't really prepared, and not just the pandemic, just everything that's happened in the last couple years. We, We weren't really prepared to cling to Christ, to cling, to to hold fast to the confession of our hope. I think if the American church is honest, if I'm honest, if we're honest, spiritually speaking, we're kind of flabby. We're we're, we're a little out of shape spiritually. Do we believe in Christ? Yes. My guess is almost everyone, maybe everyone in this room believes in Jesus. Do you have some spiritual grip strength? Right? Maybe you do, but, but man, we, we weren't, we aren't spiritually in shape. It, it's time for us to get serious uh, about our spiritual health. It, it's time for us to work out those spiritual muscles. And I, I'm just talking like every aspect of the Christian life, right? It's time to get serious about about growing in our prayer life. It's time to grow in getting into scripture, right? Meditating on the word, right? Maybe maybe this year, maybe this month, you start memorizing scripture. and, and, And as I say all the time, man, don't just do this by yourself. Find someone else or find a small group of people to do this together. Just like working out Physically, like for a lot of people, it's just better when you've got someone there keeping you accountable, encouraging you, pushing you. It's time that, that we grow in our fellowship. Right? I wonder, is there a depth to your fellowship with other believers? Or, or does it almost always just stay on the surface level, right? Until there's some crisis that you just can't ignore and that you have to talk about. 
Are you even close enough to anyone in your church to have fellowship with depth? And if not, like how much of that is on you to put yourself out there, to, to get to meet other people in our body, to grow relationships? I, I know that is hard to do, but, but we can't keep waiting for someone else to invite us into to this relationship of fellowship around Jesus. Hey, it's time to grow in, in using your spiritual gifts. Right? If you look around and you see other Christians that are serving in this ministry or that ministry, and you realize hey, you've been serving for a long time or maybe never, and it's time to jump in. It's time to contribute to the body of Christ. Verse, verses uh, 24 and 25 in, in Hebrews 10, I want to go back to those. It says, And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And it's time to grow in encouraging one another and going out of our way to stir up brothers and sisters in Christ to love and good works. We don't just hold, hold fast to this confession individually, but corporately as the body of Christ. I wonder, are you helping others hold on? There's a, a video I, I showed uh, multiple years ago in a sermon. It was, it was this hang gliding uh, ride that just went wrong. Uh, the, the pilot um, was, was hired to take this guy on a, on a hang gliding ride, and, uh, and he didn't properly clip the guy in, right? He's wearing the harness, but the harness was like only clipped in one or two spots. So they, they go off this mountainside, and it becomes immediately evident that, uh, that this is not good. Uh, this guy's literally holding on to the front bar for his life, right? He, he's gripping on as hard as he can. The, the pilot is simultaneously trying to get down to land as, as quickly and as safely as possible, but he's also trying to use one of his arms to help alleviate any weight he can. Like he's pulling up on the guy's shoulders, pulling on his, on his arms. So he's like this as the other guy's gripped on there doing whatever he can to help this passenger hold on. Um, and, and they do, they, they land, the guy only had like broken bone or something dislocated. Like it, it was amazing that it worked out. But I wonder, are we doing that for one another? Because the church is described as, as this family in the Bible. Are we living like a family together? Are we helping one another hold on to the hope that we have in Jesus and his promises? Because this world is beating us down. And maybe you don't feel it right now, but your brother, your sister in Christ, they, they need you. Our hope is critical. So as we go through Advent, as we go through this week, I want you to remember the hope that you have because Jesus came. That you have certain hope because he loves you. You have a confident hope that allows you to go to him no matter what you've done or what you are facing. You have a hope that is sure because you remember that he is faithful. Cling to that hope, right? Use that grip strength that helps you hold fast. Train so that you can hold on to the hope of your confession. Train so that you will not waver. When life punches you in the face, keep clinging to the hope that you have in Jesus. Look out for your brothers and sisters that could use some help in holding on to Christ. And we hold on not only that he was born, though we cling to that. We hold on not, not only to that he died for our sin and rose again, not only that he ascended to the Father, but also that he is coming back again. 
that he is patiently gathering more and more into his family, into the family of God, and at the right time, he will come for his own. Let me read just a, a couple of verses. They won't be on the screen for you about our hope. Romans 12, 12 says, Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 6.19, We have uh, this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Praise God for the hope that we have. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that, that Peter rightly describes for us that, that our hope is a living hope. God, I thank you that he went on to help us understand the inheritance that we have. God, I confess, we confess that our eyes are so stuck on this life. They're so stuck on the, the right here and the right now, or, or maybe, we're, maybe we're looking ahead to retirement, but God, our, our eyes are not going very far beyond that. Lord, would you help us to be a, a, a people that look towards the second advent? God, this, this season, as we remember the first advent, would we be a people filled with hope as we recognize that, that this world, no matter how good it gets, it does not compare to what we have in eternity with you, that, that you will be our God and we will be your people forever. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.